And you might want to turn as well to Romans chapter 16 on page uh, 1143. And so those verses we heard read out earlier on. Anyone here hungry? Anyone hungry? We've just sung that we are. We hear their calls and hunger for the day when with Christ we stand in glory. Do you ever feel that? You're longing for it? Can't wait? You hunger for Jesus' return? Let's pray together and pray that that would be more true of us as we come before his word now. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for that future. We thank you for the day when Christ will return and we will stand with him in your glory. We do long for it when we think of it. We're sorry for when we don't. But now as we think more about your words, we think more about that future, we pray that you would increase our heart for the lost, our desire to see others join us. For Jesus' sake. Amen. It had taken two hours and 40 minutes from first impact to the point where the last tip of the Titanic's hull sank beneath the water. Uh, By then it was 2.20 a.m. on the 15th of April 1912 and the water was at minus two degrees centigrade. Uh, The passenger list had numbered 2,240 on board. Uh, The ship carried 20 lifeboats with a maximum capacity of 1,178. In the final minutes, 18 of those lifeboats had successfully launched, but none were full. In fact, together, they had nearly 500 empty spaces. And so it was that at 2.21 a.m., there were 18 lifeboats with seats to spare, floating in a freezing ocean and listening to the harrowing screams of over a thousand people who had minutes to live. And yet of that 18, only two went to help. In some of the others there were arguments, some saying they must go, others too afraid that their boats would be swamped or overturned. What would you have done? Assuming that you were lucky enough to be one of those on the lifeboats. Here we are today thinking about the work of mission in the world. Let me suggest to you that our situation, the situation that we face, is even more acute than it was in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean that night. Because we live in a society, we live in a world that is heading for disaster. And you don't have to listen hard to be able to hear the screams. Uh, Screams of panic, perhaps, uh, that we've seen here recently with the credit crunch. Uh, What people thought of as their security being taken away from them, jobs lost, homes under threat, marriages on the rocks, retirement delayed, the future no longer so certain. Screams of anger, We see that across the world as nation fights against nation or where a country is torn apart by rival factions. Gaza, Zimbabwe, Afghanistan, Sri Lanka and on it goes. The list 
changes as the years pass, but it never gets shorter. And it's not just at the national scale. There, there are the screams that lead to and flow from family breakup, crime and violence. Just last week there was the story of the man stabbed to death in London as he went to visit his wife and newborn son in hospital. There are the screams of despair as people across the world look at their lives and wonder what it's all for. When every day is a struggle to survive and there's no joy, no end. I don't know if you've yet seen the film Slumdog Millionaire. Helen and I have seen half of it uh, because we had to come back and rescue our babysitter from Jonathan. Uh, The first half, though, is uh, both heartwarming and gut-wrenching at the same time. As you see the poverty, squalor and hopelessness that millions upon millions woke up to today. There are screams of sorrow as people walk out of oncology departments having been told that the cancer is back. As people stand by gravesides and sob as they realise life will never be the same again. Uh, All of them are screams that come from living in a fallen world. A world where God has been displaced. A world where sin infects the heart of every man and woman, enslaving and destroying in its wake. A world where individual selfishness and self-rule tear apart our societies, our families and our souls. And if that were not chilling enough, we know that the screams we hear in this life are but a shadow of those in the next. Hebrews 10 says it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God's judgment is eternal, it is awful, it is described for us as torment, as fire, as a second death, as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And yet, most importantly of all, it is avoidable. Through Jesus, it is avoidable. The gospel has such power that, yes, it addresses the screams of this life. It restores relationships. It provides purpose. It gives hope. It promises a future. But much more than that, Jesus rescues us from the coming wrath. And we've benefited from it. We're on the lifeboat. Or at least I hope that's true for you. If it isn't, don't delay. Get on board this rescue that Jesus provides. But for most of us here, we're safe. We're sitting on the lifeboat. But there's room for more. Indeed, there's always room for more. The worldwide church can never reach full capacity the way a lifeboat can. Uh, There's no limit to the number who could be saved. But will we go? Will we send people back with the lifeboats to snatch people from death to life? That's what our mission partners are doing. That's what we need to be doing at the school gate during the office coffee break with our neighbours and families and friends. 
But do we instead sit in our relative comfort and safety and find reasons not to go the way those 16 boatfuls did on that day? What might those reasons not to go be for us? Well, perhaps it's doubt. If we wonder if the gospel really can do anything to make a difference. Is it really worth the bother to help to send Rachel Olney out to Austria next year? Just so that she can talk about Jesus with people she meets. Is Robin Mangles wasting his time this month checking over the first ever translation of Jeremiah for the Tangier people? Will God really use their efforts, the efforts of our other mission partners, to bring people to know him? Will he really use my efforts with my neighbours? Sometimes we doubt the gospel's power. Or perhaps the reason not to go is indifference. When it comes down to it, we just aren't concerned enough for the world. Sometimes the full scale of the need, but both the physical and spiritual need in the world, hits us. And of course we're moved. But mostly we, we just get on with life. We don't give it a second thought. And when that's the case, we forget to pray for the work of the gospel. We forget to support the work of the gospel. We forget to engage in the work of the gospel. We stay in our lifeboats here in Forward and let the screams go unanswered. Doubt, indifference, perhaps sometimes it's just disobedience. We know that God tells us that the church is to be engaged in mission, that Christians are given the privilege of proclaiming Christ to the world, but we'd just rather not. We don't want to make the sacrifices perhaps in facing the persecution that might come our way, perhaps the sacrifice of going without some things so that we can give to support the work of others. I was challenged this week thinking that I and I would imagine uh, we have spent more money on holidays, on seeing the world, than we have on mission, which saves the world. Doubt, Indifference, disobedience. Three reasons why we stay where we are in our lifeboats. Three reasons why we don't go out so that others can be rescued. Perhaps you can think of others, but look, none of these are new worries or concerns or faults. And certainly they were true as well for the church in Rome. It was an unusually cosmopolitan church in those days as you might expect, given it was such a major city. In particular, it had a good mix of both Jews and Gentiles, and yet instead of making that uh, turn it into a church with with a particular heart for reaching the world, it it had actually caused tension and division and isolationism. And so Paul wrote to them, explaining that the gospel is powerful, that it can save anyone. Indeed, that it is God's delight to bring all nations to know him and that we have a part to play. And in these uh, last three verses of chapter 16 that we had read out, 
we see those big themes of the whole letter restated as a great summary of why mission is important and as a great encouragement to us to say, it's great that you've got some lifeboats out there. Keep going. See, firstly, it encourages us by pointing us to God's power. Verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ. God is able. Do you see how that can wipe away any doubts that we have about the power of the gospel? When we're tempted to think, well, what's the point? When our efforts with our friends or the efforts of our mission partners seem so insignificant, then remember that God is able. What is he able to do? To establish the church. Uh, That word establish also has the sense of to strengthen. It's pointing to the work of both bringing new Christians into the church, uh, but also of making the church strong as believers are united together and built up in the faith. That is God's power. He is able to establish the church. He will do it. And he will do it by the gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ. The one message of the gospel both brings new people to faith and strengthens them in their faith. It's not that we need the gospel to become a Christian and then we move on to something else in order to continue as a Christian. No, not a bit of it. It is the good news of Jesus Christ that will keep us going and help us to grow, that will lead us more and more to serve and love him. And so let's be encouraged. Let's keep supporting our mission work. If you use the uh, prayer notes that we produce each month for our mission partners, that's great. Keep going. Don't think that you're wasting your time. God is able and he is powerfully at work. At the beginning of Romans, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Don't doubt. God is able. We see God's power as well in the way that he's described. See verse 26? He is the eternal God. That I think is to say that he knows exactly what he's doing. From before the creation of the world, he has planned to send Jesus to die for us and to bring us into relationship with him. And he is the eternal God into the future as well. He knows that his plans will succeed. In fact, he's even given us a glimpse of it ourselves. In our other reading in Revelation 7, we see what that future is, the one that we should hunger for. A great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb crying out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Isn't that an encouragement as we think about mission? To know that it works? To know that the fruit of it is that one day we will look around us and see people as countless as the stars from every culture and country 
God is able. God is eternal. So he can do it. And in verse 27, uh, he is the only wise God. You see, the gospel might seem uh, weak and foolish to us. It might cause those doubts to arise. But God knows better. If we think it seems so weak to send someone out to a foreign culture armed only with a Bible, if we think it seems foolish to send the UCCF workers we support out into sceptical university faculties with the simple message of a man who died on a cross, well then God says to us, just watch and see. The foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Why should we be involved in gospel work across the world? Because God is able. Because he is eternal. Because he is the only wise God. And so when the gospel is proclaimed, God's power is displayed. But then as well as God's power... This passage also points us to God's purpose. Why is God establishing the church? Why has he commanded that the mystery of the gospel should be made known? Well, the reason is there at the end of verse 26. It is so that all nations might believe and obey him. That's his plan. That's his purpose. That is his delight. To reach people from all nations. And that's always been the plan. Uh, For the Romans, the big tension was between Jew and Gentile. It wasn't God for the Jews uh, rather than for the nations. And so throughout the letter, Paul opens it up for them. In chapter 4, he shows how from when God first spoke to Abraham and chose him, he was to be the father of many nations. Israel to become a light to the Gentiles, to draw them in. And then in chapters 9 to 11, it shows how when Israel turned away, particularly those who refused to recognize Jesus as the Christ, well, then the gospel went out to the Gentiles and huge numbers were saved. So that now the Gentiles were like a light to the Jews, drawing them back in so that all would be saved. God's heart is for all peoples. And where we are so often indifferent, God is compassionate and loving. Loving the world so much that he gave his son for us. Loving the world so that he has orchestrated the course of history, so that the offer of the gospel goes out to all. Loving us individually. So that he is like that shepherd who when he loses just one sheep, he leaves the others and sets out across the hillside until he's found it and brought it home. His purpose is for all nations and his purpose is that people should believe and obey him. This is a whole new life that we're invited into. Not just uh, believing God, Not just getting forgiveness, no longer his enemies, much more than that. God's purpose is that we live as his friends, 
that we turn to him and follow him, living our lives in line with his will, obeying him in everything. And when his will is to give us life in all its fullness, eternal life that is full of joy, well, then there's no better way to be. That is God's desire for the people of this world. Will we share that desire for them? Will we be moved as God is moved by the plight of those who are lost without Christ? Can we echo Paul's words in Philippians 3? I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Are you moved to tears as he was? Are you moved to tears as the Lord Jesus was? As from the hillside he wept over Jerusalem. Why should we be involved in gospel work across the world? Because to do so is to share God's purpose. That all nations should believe and obey him. God's power, God's purpose. What about our part? Uh, The part that we have to play. Uh, This passage tackles our disobedience by reminding us of God's commands. You see, our part is to proclaim this gospel, to make it known. Look at verse 25 again. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings, by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him. Do you notice there how Paul calls it my gospel? I'm sure in part it points to his particular role as an apostle, uh, being the herald of this good news, uh, an eyewitness of the risen Jesus Christ when he proclaimed Jesus. He was proclaiming the man he had seen. And yet I think too here that Paul calls it my gospel because he knew that this message of Jesus Christ was for him. It was Paul's good news. Now, When he spoke to someone in a new town as he went around the Mediterranean, he could say to them, let me tell you the gospel. But he could also say to them, let me tell you my gospel. Can you speak of it like that? Uh, when you think about mission and evangelism, uh, telling others, do you imagine yourself trying to explain a set of ideas out there? Or is it sharing the good news that is in here, in our hearts? My gospel. In fact, I think there's a link. If we haven't really grasped the gospel in here, we won't be moved to proclaim Christ out there. And if we aren't excited about reaching the world, if we aren't ready to do it and pray for it and support it, then is it actually because we haven't really grasped the good news for ourselves? But if we have grasped it, if it is my gospel, then proclaim it. Proclaim it. Proclaim Jesus Christ. That's Paul's shorthand for the whole gospel message. 
Jesus is the Christ. He's our Saviour King. That mystery which once was hidden but now is made known. Made known through the Scriptures. Proclaimed by the Church. And then applied to the believer by the Holy Spirit who uses the Word as his sword to penetrate penetrate through to our hearts. Why should we be involved in gospel work around the world? Because of God's power. He is able to establish his people by the gospel. Because of God's purpose. That all nations would believe and obey him. And because our part is to proclaim my gospel to the world. Well, how can we be doing that? Well, first let's remember that Fullwood and Sheffield are part of the world too. We're engaged in world mission every time we step out of our front doors. Be encouraged in that work. Keep trying to reach out to your friends and family. Uh, We've got Christianity Explored starting on Tuesday. Who could you invite along? Suppose we all of us invited one person. Don't you think we'd get a good number coming? Maybe your person will be one of the ones who says no. If so, well done for asking. But maybe they will say yes. So we're engaged in world mission here. But then next, there may be some who are being drawn to, to go out, to head out with a lifeboat so that people can climb aboard. Perhaps you're ready. You want to start making plans to that end. Perhaps it's just the seed of an idea in your mind at the moment. You're not sure. Either way, get in touch with Paul or myself this week. We'd love to start helping you to to think about whether it's right for you. It's one of our mission statements as a church family that we want to be sending out, seeing people head off with this good news. And for others, we'll want to be supporting our mission partners. If you're in a small group at the moment, then soon we're going to assign one mission partner to each group so that you can keep in touch with them better find out the struggles and joys that they are facing rejoice with them as the Lord does his work of establishing the church pray for them earnestly will you do that for them? and will we support them financially? that's part of our focus this mission gift day here we are we've got people who are heading out with the lifeboats all over this country and the world. They just need the supplies. I guess back at the Titanic in the freezing ocean, they needed loads of dry blankets and food and distress flares. So too, our mission partners need the resources to be able to proclaim Christ clearly. Are we ready? Are we ready to wipe away all doubt because we know the power of God. Ready to wipe out all indifference because we catch on to the purpose of God. 
Are we ready to stop our disobedience and to play our part? This is a great thing that we're in on together. We live in a world filled with screams. Screams of panic, of anger, of despair, of sorrow. Screams to which the gospel brings relief and rest. Because it turns them into cries of joy and praise. Where in Revelation 7, one day people of all nations will cry out. But their cry will be, salvation belongs to our God. And their God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Let's pray together.